0: She is sure, she is strong, she is true. She is true. She is brave, she is she is bold, she is you. She is you, she is you, is you. She is sure, she is strong, she is true. She is true. She is brave, she is brave, she is bold, she is
1: bold, she is you. Hello and welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dori DiCarlo, and you know we are here week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us building our businesses from home, you know that we're just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done, we're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to today's guest. Christine Marotti-Yoder is a mom of one, wife pediatric feeding therapist and speech pathologist. She is the author of the book Mealtime Mindset and the host of the podcast How to Unpicky Your Picky Eater. Christine is the owner and founder of Foodology Feeding, where she helps teach parents how to make meal times more joyful and stress-free. Christine loves self-development and is an avid learner when her own son struggled with feeding at an early age, she switched her focus and became dedicated to improving the lives of parents of children with feeding issues. And I know a lot of parents out there are struggling with that. So I think this is a really great topic and a a wonderful niche. So Christine, with all that being said, welcome to Word of Mom Radio.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: It's my pleasure.
2: I have to have you
1: take us on your journey. And did it start With your son, or did you decide to try to solve picky eating children's problems earlier?
2: So I was kind of thrown into feeding early on in my career, and without really any true training in it, it's really a specialty they don't teach us in grad school. I think they're starting to maybe do a class here or there, but it's not at the level that I have now. So, you know, I started and I really honestly didn't know exactly what I was doing and I thought I was doing okay. And I, I worked in schools, I did worked in private practices and um, rehabs and all sorts of places, but I really didn't get into it until my son was born and he had issues. He had issues with breastfeeding like from day one and, you know, it kind of it morphed into other things, right? So now he's still kind of a little bit of a picky eater. We've come so far and he's had so much therapy, not with me, <laughs> but I, I have someone else work with him. But um but I've learned so much and that made me really dive deep into like oh my gosh wait there's different feeding so there's infant feeding and then there's toddler feeding and then it really changes like a, a little bit you know across the lifespan there's like these different kind of um niches within the niche of feeding so I kind of learned all of the different ones <laughs> and um I just found it super fascinating so um I guess that that's kind of how I got started in it but I always, always had an interest in food and health and, you know, learning about toxins and how food can be medicine and things like that. That was always an interest. So it just kind of meshed into my life very seamlessly, I feel.
1: Have you found that there are causes for picky
2: eating? So yes, actually, and I, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people think it's a behavioral issue that the kids are being difficult or in, in some way, and, and that you can kind of control it to some degree. But what I've found is that there's a, like a a bunch of issues that are related, and sometimes kids have one, or sometimes they have multiple. So it could be gut related where they actually had like maybe even severe reflux as a child and any sort of pain regarding feeding creates like a negative association with it. Things not feeling well when they get to the belly, food sensitivities. So that would be all on the the gut kind of category. And then, you know, there's sensory. So it's kids that when they touch something, they don't like how it feels. They have to wipe it. They don't like how it feels in their mouth. More on their hands, it, you know, they, they have difficulty maybe regulating their bodies, you know, things like that, that sensory aspect, that's the whole other little piece of the puzzle. Uh, then you have the oral motor. And I find with the more I learned about oral motor, the more I realized that all of our picky eaters have a really hard time moving food around in their mouth appropriately. Like there is a way that food is supposed to kind of move through the mouth and it's supposed to be cleared. And a lot of our kids, they have a lot of food left over in their mouth. They're not, their tongue isn't moving the food as it's supposed to. And I see a lot of jaw weakness. So, you know, we don't know if it's kind of chicken or the egg by the time they get to me. You know, did their, the foods that they're eating result in them having oral motor issues or did they have that and that's why they became picky? But that's a piece of the puzzle too. There's definitely a few different things it could be, but usually it's not behavior, which is the most like common reason that people think that their kids are not eating.
1: What are some of the red flags that parents see that show that they need to seek help with their child's eating issues?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So red flags, I mean, it might look a little bit different for each kid, but for the most part, if your kids are not eating um, a wide variety of foods, now you're actually supposed to eat between 30 and 40 different foods a week to kind of replenish your good gut bacteria and keep things moving really well. Um, You're supposed to eat from all of the different food groups. Um, So if they're eliminating, like they will not eat any vegetables, any meat. Those are the two most common things we see because they're the most fibrous. They're the most difficult to break down in the mouth. If they're eating, you know, less than 30 foods, I would say. Some of our kids literally eat less than 10 foods or less than five foods. But if they're, you know, very restricted, Um, I would say that also, you know, if they have like any sort of reaction to food, like a behavioral reaction, like they start crying or they get very anxious or they start gagging just looking at food, those would all be red flags. Like food should not be very stressful like that. You know, we shouldn't get upset about it. So those are all things that I would say, okay, it's time to look for some help. What kind of effects picky eaters have on the family? Oh, well, that's, that's really, I mean, it's going to be a little individual, right, for every family. But the most common things I hear are that parents, they can't go out to eat at restaurants. They really struggle. They have to, like, bring certain things for their kids. They can't take vacations the way they'd like or they can't go at all in some cases because, you know, some of our kids, they, they need, like, Their parents make a very special concoction, Um, and, you know, if they don't have a blender and access to all of the exact foods with the exact packaging, so there's that fear that, like, if I go away, my kid's not going to eat anything. Like, what are we going to do? We can't go anywhere. You know, it does. It holds them back. Even things like going to birthday parties are really hard for our kids because they can't eat with all the other kids there. There's so many ways that it can affect them, and it it will vary, of course, you know, for each kid, but, you know, sometimes kids, they don't even eat in school. They just, they don't want to eat in front of people, or there's just nothing, you know, you know, they're not, they're not able to, like, participate in the mealtime with everybody else, like all of the other kids, so it's, and that stresses the families out. So you know that makes mom and dad very anxious about meal times, and then you know it kind of makes them dread meal times. And we eat all the time, so to have that level of stress every day, several times a day, can definitely wear on families.
1: It's amazing. It never occurred to me that it would affect travel time and birthday parties and things like that. You know, as when my kids were little, any time I traveled, I people would laugh at me that I'd have a gate and a walker and a this and a that. And my feeling always was the more comfortable my children are, the easier my life is. (laughs) So I used to bring my little baby blender. I had a little mini one because whatever I ate when my kids were little, I would just throw into that and put a little water in it so it pureed up for them. And that's how I did it. I, I would try each individual food. And then once I knew they didn't have allergies, they ate what we ate. And it's interesting to me. And again, it never occurred to me that it really isn't just about mealtime at home. It's now going to translate into all of these other places. That has to create such an anxiety for parents and caregivers. Yeah, absolutely. Does that anxiety translate? You know, where now the kid is feeling, they already feel the stress because their parents already feel the stress.
2: That is like a 100%. That's exactly what I, well, what I try to teach parents is that, you know, their child's issue is not an isolated issue to them. It affects you as well. And I feel like people that are more successful with the therapy aspect... They have to do some work on themselves and, like, how to regulate themselves and how to see the positive in these situations and how to help their kids move past. Like, it's not like a I'm going to drop you off and you're going to fix them type of a thing. It's This is our problem. We're all going to work through this together. It's a challenge that we can all learn from and overcome. You know, there can be good on the other side of it. But it definitely affects the parents. And I always say, I feel you are stressed out. And that means that they can feel that you're stressed out, too. So imagine if every time it's like five o'clock in that time of day, every time mom gets really stressed out in the kitchen. Well, who's going to want to go in the kitchen and be with mom? Right. And if that's where we're supposed to be eating. Right. We've already set our- ourselves up for a difficult meal and we didn't even get started. Right. Wow. So It's a big piece of it.
1: It really is. When you're looking at a picky eater, are there long-term consequences that
2: can happen because of that? Well, the most common ones are nutrient deficiencies. And what happens is a lot of our picky eaters become deficient in a few, I mean, they really can become deficient in all of the vitamins, right? Because a lot of the foods that they're eating have no nutrients. They eat breads carbs, easy to break down things like cereals and chips and snacks and things that don't have any real nutritional value to begin with. So when they are, you know, eating, it's not going to nourish their body. So if they're not getting any sort of supplementation, and sometimes our kids can't even eat supplements because they don't like the gummies or they won't have the liquid or they won't You know, the powder makes things taste different. So sometimes even getting the supplements in can be hard. But, you know, we find that zinc, they're very deficient in B vitamins. And zinc actually, if you're deficient in zinc, it affects how things taste and smell. So now you're actually like perpetuating the problem because now they don't want to eat things. Or when they try things, it's going to taste weird. So, you know, you can see how it's like a big little snowball effect and it just it could kind of get out of control if we let it. Wow. It really
1: is a vicious cycle. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break, say thank you to our sponsors, and we'll be back here in just a moment on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win.
2: Unsilenced Voices has been working diligently in Ghana, Sierra Leone, Rwanda, and the USA to combat domestic violence, sexual abuse, and human trafficking. We currently have over 50 young girls on a wait list in Sierra Leone to go through a vocational training program to get them off the streets and out of harm's way. We have gifted over $33,000 to US survivors and are looking for volunteers and donors to help us continue our cause. Please visit us at www.unsilencedvoices.org. Again, unsilencedvoices.org for more information.
1: Are you experiencing insomnia, brain fog, hot flashes, mood swings, and more? These are many of the symptoms women experience on a daily basis affecting the health of their brain and increasing the risk for dementias like Alzheimer's disease down the road. A healthy lifestyle can make a big difference for the health of the brain, but brain love health took it further and created an innovative nutritional supplement especially for women to support us through this transitional time while also promoting better sleep and long-term brain health. Don't wait any longer to help your brain age well. Why let it deteriorate? The health of your brain is in your hands. To begin protecting it today, visit brainlovehealth.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-L-O-V-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com. Let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to Stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out StadiumBags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back here on Word of Mom Radio. We're talking with Christine Marati-Yoder, who is the founder of Foodology Beating. What can parents do to help their kids today, right now? What can they start doing that's going to make a difference?
2: There's so many things. You know, the first thing we always tell parents is to try to take the pressure off of themselves as the parent and also take it off of your kids. Because a lot of times there's right? There's this feeling of like, okay, they have to eat, like they have to eat something. It's my job to get them food. If they don't eat there's like, you know, this feeling like, well, if they don't eat, they're going to die or they're not going to sleep or they're not going to be able to learn in school. And we do see that a lot of our picky eaters have trouble focusing, right? Because they're not getting those nutrients it affects their brain functioning a little bit. So, Um, Just taking the pressure off of the mealtime, which is harder than you'd think when you have these fears that pop up of like they have to eat. We need to get food into them. But the more we pressure kids, the the further we're pushing them back from wanting to participate. Some things you could do that are non-pressure is getting them in the kitchen and helping with meal prep, however small of a step that might be. It could literally be, you know, if they won't even enter the kitchen, it might just be just, can you just hand me that box of pasta from the other room? But as they get more interested in food you might be able to get them to, you know, bring stuff from, you know, the cutting board and putting it into the bowl or actually having them help. They make all types of kid knives that are very safe, you know, having them help chop things. It doesn't have to look perfect, but as long as they're interacting with food and meal prep's a great way to do that because there's no real pressure to eat because we're making it to be eaten later, but it's, you know, as long as we say, hey, you know, just help me out. I know you don't have to have any of this, but can you just help me make it? I really can use some help and make them the hero of it, right? So give them that, like, they're going to be really proud. They did something helpful. And mom's really appreciative of all of their <laughs> hard efforts. That's a great way. They, they could do that starting today. And also just being grateful for all of the foods that they do eat. And it's hard sometimes when there's so few But a lot of our parents focus on those negatives. My kid doesn't eat anything. They're so picky. They use all these negative terms when they're talking about them and and their food. And I think that's actually making things worse. If we start focusing on what they can do and, you know, wow, they did help me today in the kitchen. They touched an eggplant for the first time. That was great, right? Focus on those positive moments and everything that they can do, and you'll start to see more positive things in your reality. It's Funny, I've, when my kids were little, they always let them help me cook.
1: And my sister-in-law, that makes such a mess. And I would say to her, but then they learn that a sponge comes back to life when it gets wet and everything else. But most importantly, when they're involved in making the food, they want to eat what they've created. Yeah, it really absolutely. does. It, it, it excites them. And, and so I think that that is such great advice. And I have to ask, what kind of questions should a parent ask when they meet with someone like you when they're meeting with a feeding therapist?
2: Well, so we're all very different, to be honest. You're not going to find two feeding therapists who are usually exactly alike or have the same training. So I would say, and like I said in the beginning, we don't really get this training in school. So sometimes people like myself early on in my career that had kind of been pushed in or fell in and didn't really 100% know what you were were doing, you know, that might be that person. And there's nothing, you know, wrong with that person. It's just that they might not be the best fit. So asking questions like, what is your background in this? What techniques do you use? Are they going to be making it a behavioral like, hey, if you, you know, we're going to take five licks, and then you get a reward, or, you know, you're not going to leave until we take one bite of this. That's a very behavioral approach versus like a play approach, which we're we're just going to explore food, we're going to maybe cook things together, we're going to be silly with food, and we're going to get you to not be so afraid of it. Um, And we work on sensory in that way. But you know, those are very different approaches. So I would ask questions like that. Is it hard to remediate all of these things that go on? It depends. I say it depends on how many of those factors that they have, right? So if they have gut issues and sensory issues and oral motor issues and they now have the fear around food like that's a those are all different separate puzzle pieces that need to be addressed so but some kids it's really they have sensory processing and sensory is their main issue Right. Or they kind of are okay with all the other stuff, but they might have just some oral motor issues and they spit food out a lot because they can't really move it around well. So, you know, it kind of depends on how many pieces of their puzzle. So a really good comprehensive evaluation that looks at all of those pieces is important. So, And that's what we do in our clinic. We try to, like, figure out what where the issues are and like where to focus our energy first, because sometimes even if there is an oral motor issue, the fear takes precedence and it's like, well, forget about that. We're not even going to address that for a while because they, they can't even look at the food without freaking out. So like, let's start there. <laughs> what kind of support
1: do you offer families? I mean, you touched uh, on little bits of it. Give us an yeah. overview.
2: We have an, a clinic on Long Island. That's where, you know, we're based. Uh, we do early intervention services and private pay evaluations and feeding therapy some kids come into clinics. sometimes we go to their house or sometimes it's virtual. But that was a very limited resource because I, we train all of our girls to kind of know about all of those different areas. So that takes a lot of training and you have to have someone who wants to do that work. Not everybody's interested in that. So we have only a very few number of people that can do this type of work. So in order to kind of help people all over the world, because they're really, some places there are no feeding therapists, or there's no one that can help with these issues, right? So we created a course for parents so that they can learn and basically become the therapist themselves, which I have to say, a lot of parents will resist it at first, because they say, no, I really want someone, they're going to do it for someone else, they're not going to do it for me. And they're the people that need this the most because I don't eat in your house with you all of the time. It doesn't matter if I get them to eat. They have to have that relationship with you and food. So it's the parents that really have to learn why we're doing what we're doing and how to get them to enjoy food because you're going to be with them for the rest of their life. You don't want me at your house every day for the rest of your life, right? So it's so important that they learn all of the techniques and the whys. So we've created a course to help parents kind of understand how to do this. And we give some support, some coaching virtually to help with their specific problems. But we found that that was maybe like the best way to help people outside of our area.
1: It makes so much sense. And you wrote a book. I did. About (laughs) mealtime mindset and how can people get it? Is it available? Is it part of what
2: you do? Tell us. It's on Amazon. So you could order it, uh, you know, it's like an ebook, or you can have a a copy sent to your house. But it's really about those principles that I feel like is missing or had been missing for so long that I just it was a piece of the puzzle that was never there, the mindset piece, right? So the gut, the sensory, the oral motor, but the mindset piece, I feel like governs all of them because if you don't have the right mindset about something or you think, you know, they're just being difficult or it's definitely not that like this will never work or they're never going to eat for me. You know, those are all of the things that we have to work through because that's going to underline all of those other issues that they're having. If we don't have the right mindset, we're not going to see progress. The people that come to us, even that want to see that progress, if they're not willing to do some of that inner work, They don't see the results that they want. So I felt like it was a big missing piece of the puzzle.
1: Well, it's a good book, too. And and I like that it kind of has a Q&A for you, you know, with each chapter of looking at this and examining that. Because mindset is everything. Let's face it. It's that self-fulfilling prophecy. I know you're not going to eat this, but, you know, here.
2: You've already given them permission not to. Right. And you've already set it up in your head that they're going to fail.
1: Yep. And then you're right. I used to say that to my kids. Every once in a while, they'd say to me, I know you're going to say no. I'd say, stop right there. You already made the decision, so we'll go with that. (laughs) Great. Why not? So as we're wrapping up, what would you like to leave our listeners with? And please let them know how to reach out to you, Christine. Uh,
2: Well, you know, I'd like to say that this is not a, a problem that is unsolvable. It's very manageable it is easy to work through it does take time though and it takes dedication so as long as it's a priority to you and it's really important that your kids eat more foods or eat healthier foods as long as you put your mind to it and set some goals you know this will be an achievable You know, it's definitely possible. You know, they can find us uh, at our website, foodologyfeeding.com. It has links to our courses there. It has links to uh, free webinars that I run so parents can get more information. We have lots of free tips on our Instagram at foodologyfeeding. There's lots of resources, you know, from free to paid. And we even have now a course on helping parents to manifest money that they need to get the kids all of the therapies that they need, because therapy can be very expensive. And a lot of parents, they really only will find someone who takes their insurance. And sometimes we have we work with professionals, they do gut testing, there's chiropractors, there's, there's other people involved. And I'm like, you know, I know that would be the best person but they can't afford it. So, you know, I I made this course on how to help them manifest money so that they don't have to worry. Who cares if they take insurance? I'm going to get them the help they need anyway. Hopefully, that will help some families as well.
1: I'm sure it will and all of Christine's links are going to be live including a link to the book. And I want to thank you for taking the time to come and share with us today. Keep up the good work because it's amazing how many parents are dealing with this and Mindset is everything. Once you shift that mindset, then you're able to move your kids where they need to go. So bravo. I oh, appreciate thank it. You. You're welcome. And for all of you tuning in, thanks so much for being with us today. We're going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is, sure. she is sure, she is strong, she is, strong. She is
0: true.